Welcome to Evolved Radio, where we explore the evolution of business and technology. Today, I'm joined by John Scott from ScopeStack. We talk about some of the best practices you should use when you're scoping projects, things like fixed fee versus T&M, the difference between a proposal and a sow, and how you can make your project scoping easier. This is a great episode with useful insights to help you up your project delivery game. You can increase profit and client satisfaction while reducing the burden on your tech team. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. Also, be sure to check out the webpage, evolvedmgmt.com slash podcast for show notes, links to my guests, and to check out previous episodes. Now let's get started. Joining me today on the podcast is John Scott, CEO and founder of ScopeStack. Welcome, John. Hey, Todd. Thanks for having me. All right. So we're going to be digging into projects and project delivery and how to scope and uh, develop uh, projects for project delivery. So this would be really useful for the IT folks. And a good place to start, I think, would be something that that gets uh, debated a lot in the industry is whether or not you should do fixed fee projects or uh, time time materials. Um, I personally am a big fan of fixed fee projects as much as possible. And given sort of the enterprise history that you have, uh, as well as some of the SMB delivery, I'm curious, we can bat this around a little bit. Uh, yeah. What's your feeling on fixed fee versus uh, time materials projects? Is there a place for time materials or should everything be fixed? fee like I prefer. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, you're going to be right 100% of the time, right, Todd? So um, it's your podcast, you can be correct. No, but um, <laughs> in all honesty, I think, you know, if if you can have a really buttoned up statement of work, then fixed fee is the way to go, right? I think the, the clients prefer the fixed fee simply because it reduces their risk. Um, I think there's a lot of perceived value in a fixed fee project as opposed to a T&M, time and materials project. That there's a lot to be misconstrued in T&M. And I, and I think, I, yes, I, I prefer fixed fee because there there's a lot of value to that. And there are a lot of things that you could represent to a client just by showing fixed fee, right? Like you've done it before. Um, you're not making it up. You know what you, you know what they want. You know how to deliver it. Um, I think with time and materials, you leave yourself a little bit exposed to the ever-ending, never-ending project. Um, I, I think from a client's perspective too, they are a little typically a little weary of that because they don't know what the budget's going to be. They don't know what the price of the project's going to be at the end of the day. So much like construction on your home, it's a it's a little bit scary um, unless you have a fixed fee. And I think it just puts everyone in a good spot. So. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, I agree. I think the, the, the primary one is uh, exactly what you said, just the, the peace of mind around what this is going to cost me and being able to budget for that is a, is a really nice part for, for the client. And you can just tell them like, I'm going to de- deliver on these deliverables and, and provide the value. And this is how much it's going to cost. It's not going to be more than that unless you change the scope. Uh, so right. th- that's, that's a really important piece. The other piece I think that um, the, the providers need to understand is if you're doing fixed fee, that's where you're able to build in market margin. So if you can do it faster yeah. uh, and automate things and leverage tools to do things quicker, but still have a you know a competitive bid that is uh, is built on sort of the labor effort, then uh, then that, sure. that's really helpful. So you can kind of make a bit more margin if that's possible, or you know you can um, uh, be, use those same efficiencies to reduce your your bid cost and and potentially deliver yeah, on I, a lower price. Yeah, I mean I think it's very easy for the end client to look at a time and materials, look at a resource rate, right? And say, oh, I can just go get that same level of resource from someone else or go source that resource, you know, within the market myself. Um, So I think it just leaves you open to um, 
bits of risk that you just, I mean, if you've done this before and you feel confident in your service delivery methodology and the team, then um, that should absolutely be your your primary goal is to lead with fixed. All right. Excellent. Um, another piece that people often miss, I think, when they're, they're maybe a bit lower on the maturity scale for project delivery is not mm. including project management. And I hear this, mm. you know, the, the, <laughs> the low end or the, uh, the, the emerging MSPs, kind of the less mature groups will typically push back saying, well, I, I can't include project management because the client won't agree to it uh, or they, they don't see the value in it. Uh, so we just have to do that on the side of someone's desk. And th- this sort of comes back to the first question is if you're doing it in fixed fee, they don't know and you can include project management, which increases sort of the, 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 the availability for delivery and the quality of the delivery again. So uh, what's, your, what's your sense on uh, how much project management should be included and whether or not it should be included in everything? Well, I, th- I think you all, I mean, I think you just hit the nail on the head in that like project managers are there to um, help you successfully deliver a project, right? So it's not some undue burden just because you're trying to make extra money. Like they have a very specific role and that is a very special person in a project. I mean, they keep everything on the rails typically. <laughs> um, it's not us engineers doing it for sure. But um, no, so what, what we're typically seeing in the industry, and again, we're working, you know, with a lot of bars across the globe now, um, that typical, that standard rule of thumb is 20% project management on top of um, your standard level of effort or, you know, the rest of the engineering hours that are in the project. So um, we've seen some customers go higher. We've seen some go lower. Um, but we, we typically start at that 20% mark. And what we've seen is that's pretty well received across the board and, and a pretty good standard to, to roll with. Yeah, it's uh, sort of similar to what, what, I, what I, I do as well. Um, uh, the calculator that I built for this is, is similar to the, the product that you guys have developed at, at Scopestack. And it automatically added, uh, it was either 12 to 15% of project management, kind of depended on sure. what we were looking at. And then we added uh, 10% contingency so that there was, a, a, in that fixed fee, there was some buffer for overruns or things that didn't go quite as well as we thought. So, and I think uh, if you just combine those two and just call it project management, you can have that split into two pieces, but that, that ends up being that 20 to 25%, right? Yeah. So what we, um, what we did in Scopestack was very similar background, right? And so we were doing the same thing in Excel, calculating a percentage um, for project management. But we, what we did in the software was we said, okay, you can set different levels of governance around a project. So project management, documentation time, um, contingency risk, right? Assessment time of the existing environment. And so we give you the ability to um, reduce the risk as much as possible on every single project by predefining a certain percentage. And so as you're increasing scope on a project, all these items are ebbing and flowing based on that, that engineering effort on it. So we, we've had business owners say like, this pays for scope stack because we always forget it. We always, you know, we're digging ourselves out of a hole from the get go because we don't have it in a project. Yeah. It's another uh, good one uh, is documentation time. A lot of people don't tend to think oh, yeah. of that being built into the, the statement of work. That's a, a really good one to catch as well. Well, I mean, that's, that's the post sales version of scoping for pre-sales, right? Yeah, so, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. They're, they're responsible for building that as built in the documentation. Say, so, Hey, this is what we delivered, especially in the fixed fee project. This is what we deliver. And, and it just, it takes time. It takes time um, yeah. to do that. So you need to account for it for sure. Right on. Okay, let's uh, uh, move up the sort of the the uh, the scoping stack here. Ha, scope stack. Um, ah. 
Well the, done. <laughs> uh, another piece is uh, I find there's a lot of confusion between sort of the the three types of things that you'll need when you're pitching a project to to a customer uh, or a, or a client and. I think all of these are generally required. The sort of the complexity of them can be different given the circumstance, right. but uh, I, th- I find um, people don't necessarily know the difference or understand how these things are used differently. And the three things would be a proposal, a bomb or a bill of materials and the sow, the statement of work. And sure. I'll, I'll just sort of give my, my experience in this and what I've seen is um, so many people tend to use a statement of work uh, as a sales document. So, mm. so a client says, hey, we need to get this project done. And the salesperson runs over to the tech team and says, hey, can we get this project built for them? This is what they told me they need. Uh, technician <laughs> proceeds to spend, you know, maybe two hours, sometimes 12 hours producing this awesome statement of work. The salesperson runs it back to the client and the client's like, oh, okay, thanks. We'll take that into consideration. And they've not really qualified the level of sales effort required here. Uh, and I, I find this is maddening that tech time is spent so much on pre-sales efforts without really qualifying sort of what should be done. So I think it's really, let's let's talk a bit about like, what's a proposal, which is the sales tool? Uh, yep. wh- how is a bomb used? And then how's that rolled into a sow? Yeah. So from our perspective, a proposal is very much a, yes, a sales tool. And it's got a lot of pretty pictures. It's got a lot of marketing content in it. And I think overall, it's a much fluffier document, right? And so it's not it's not technical, typically, from what we're seeing. Um, there might be some high-level numbers in there, um, but it's not an executable document that the client would sign off on and then project ex- execution would happen. Um, again, a proposal is a way to, to really start qualifying the business opportunity with that client, in, in our view. The bomb... Um, I think is like the interim step between that and the statement of work. So the bill of materials. So in pre-sales, what we're typically seeing is the bill of materials and the sour, the two biggest things um, that any pre-sales engineer is working on typically. Um, we feel like as an industry, the, the bomb development aspect is pretty good right now. I mean, tools at Cisco, Netformix, right? There are a lot of CPQ configuration price quote tools out there today that um, are pretty well and pretty robust. And so it helps you validate quantities of power cords and, you know, optics and all sorts of things. So um, what we feel like the next step is beyond that, after building out the bomb and the solution um, is the statement of work. And so the technical language um, that's required and explains to the customer how everything in that bill of materials, which will get converted to a quote, will be delivered in a project. Um, So I think there's a progression, right, from proposal bomb to sow that you're correct, I I think is in, in your example, you know, the sales executive or the sales teammate came to the engineer said, hey, this is what I heard the client say that they wanted. The engineer scopes it based on the sales executive's take on the project without even meeting the client potentially. And that's, and that's just a huge flaw in itself um, from a process standpoint. Yeah, I totally agree. And that, that, I think that's sort of my frustration with that is the, the wasted effort, the wasted time, uh, when really I think the, 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 the tech and the, the account exec need to determine, you know, what's their level of interest here? Do they just want to understand, is this $5,000? Is this $10,000? Is it $50,000? Right. They're they're looking for that ballpark budgetary number, not, not something to hold you 
YouTube say, well, you told me this was going to be $15,000 and you quoted right. me 17. Well, okay. You know, uh, right. we were talking about proposal, but we actually <laughs> did the statement of work and now here's the actual price. So I think it's a matter of, of positioning, but also qualification with the, with the client when you're trying to determine like, like, what are you looking for here? Do you just want a ballpark number or are you, are you keen to, to go forward and execute on this project based on a need? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's what we're trying to do with ScopeSec, right? So our vision is um, a couple of different things. You know, that engineer sitting in a sales meeting um, with a client and they could be, you know, as the conversation's happening, they could literally be pulling in specific tasks, specific parts of a project to get them to uh, kind of the framework of um, the project that the client's talking about, right? And literally you can click a button and say, let's generate a services brief. And so it's, you know, high level business outcome, high level solution summary around what the client's saying, um, as well as some pricing and, and some budgetary elements. And so we can couple that with a way to qualify the opportunity very quickly, as opposed to in your in your past example, the two or three hours of the engineer's time to, to build that out. Right. So like how do we how do we um, reduce that burden on the engineering team? allow them to be in front of the clients a lot more um, and then, you know, create a, a technical document that's accurate at the end of the day, but much faster. Yeah. And one of the other pieces that I, I really like about using a tool like this uh, is the uh, is the consistency of the quoting. So, <clears throat> excuse me, if you ask, a, you know, a, a technician A to quote a particular project, they, they, they just sort of use their own frame of reference of, well, I think this will take yeah. me two hours, this will <laughs> take me 12 hours, this will take me an hour, I think we're good, right? And then you go to talk to sure. technician B, who's maybe a bit more conservative and says, well, I think this is five hours, this is three hours, and this is 20 hours, yeah. right? So depending on who you talk to, the project can look very, very differently. And I, I think the having like a, a library of, uh, de- of defined deliverables and what the agreed upon uh, deliverable time for those uh, for those to execute in a project is, is really powerful from a quoting standpoint. One, because it eliminates that inconsistency, but also number two, it allows the consistency uh, uh, or the um, uh, the technicians to all agree on how much time a particular piece of work takes. Yeah, absolutely. And we, I mean, we had a client, I had a um, conversation with a client yesterday that said that exact thing, right? So they have an, an engineering group with different levels of maturity across every single engineer. So the more seasoned engineers are able to scope a project and have really a lot of, um, you know, they don't, they don't have as many questions about how to scope out this project um, because they've done it before. There's also the junior guys that do have a lot of questions. Um, and so if you can use it all also as an enablement tool to kind of level set your engineering team. So the mature guys, you know, um, or girls, they're, they're scoping out a project. They're defining the standards that then the other engineers can start consuming. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, from a consistency standpoint, that's what we used to see um, at a couple of partners that I was at was the delivery team, the back office chatter was, you know, Hey, what did they scope this time? Right. It's the same technology we're deploying, but um, they didn't know what, was in scope this time just because we we made it up every single time and to yeah. your point every engineer made it up differently and, and pretty and back to sort of the first question uh, that's that's pretty difficult to do a fixed fee project if not everyone agrees on what that fee actually is for a fixed fee project right sure yeah and, and then think about like the the future of that so if you can start defining some standard service offerings and levels um, but at a much more granular level then you can start tracking that from a delivery of a project standpoint and then, you know, update the level of effort that's being scoped, right? So you become more competitive in the market because 
you know what you're doing on delivery, you know how you're scoping it. And there's a really nice back and forth relationship between pre-sales and post-sales at that point that should win you more business, ideally. Yeah, awesome. So uh, we we touched on the SAO. Um, if you kind of review statements of work that that come out of any organization, they tend to look extremely different depending on what the organization <laughs> is, and uh, yeah. uh, not a, a one size fits all. You know, you've seen I've seen a, a one or a two page SAO. I've literally seen a sixty page or an eighty page SAO. Oh yeah, those so, are fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Some good bedtime reading material. Uh, yes. W- what would you say are sort of the essential elements of a statement of work so from what from what we've seen based on you know talking to partners and building these you know hundreds of these out um, if not thousands now um, some of the basic elements are right the basics around client info contact info um, then beyond that it's you know an executive summary and a solution summary so really executive summary being very business outcome. So what are they trying to achieve? What is the expected outcome from this project? And then the solution summary is a much more technical, how do I get to that outcome via technology? Right. So those two things. And I think that those two parts are hard to automate, to be honest with you, because that's some of the art of a pre-sales engineer is providing that context and that narrative around a project. Um, Next, beyond that, we're seeing the technical language. So we're installing X widgets, Y features of each of those. Um, and we, we're typically seeing that technical section broken down in a couple of different ways. It could be broken down by phases. So if you have a standard phase delivery methodology, we're seeing that it's broken down by locations. Um, you know, so if you're doing a multi-site project or a bunch of E-rate work, you know, what are you doing for every single school or every single location, right? Um, and then beyond that, we're seeing the governing language and the pricing, right? So assumptions, out-of-scope responsibilities, and then pricing um, of the fixed fee project and, you know, coupled with that, typically some some billing milestones. Like, you know, if we did the phased delivery methodology, you know, phase one, we're going to bill you this much after we complete phase one, phase two, phase three, right? So that's that's typically what we're seeing um, from a standard. Uh, what about some of the other elements that that tend to get included, like um, um, uh, exclusions, assumptions, uh, some of the, the more, uh, I guess, risk language that would go into those statements of work? Uh, do you think that those are always required or maybe dependent on sort of the scale risk of the project? No, I, I think they're I think they're absolutely required, um, and that's what I meant around governing language right. um, around assumptions and out of scope. I think if you're doing a fixed fee project, you need to be very clear about what you're not doing. Right? Um, I think with the time and materials, you know, typically that delivery is mandated by the client themselves and not the business, so or the partner. Um, so there's some flexibility there um, with inherent risk, of course. But um, absolutely, I think uh, assumptions of this project, things that are specifically out of scope, those absolutely need to be all be accounted for. Yeah. Um, and you can you can define a bunch of that up front usually. So if you're delivering this service, these things are out of scope, right? That that correlation is pretty pretty straight. Yeah, the the statements of work that I built typically the there was sort of a default set of assumptions sure. and out of scope items like just that were going to be typical with any project, and then you would just kind of review those and pop a few back in based on whatever the the particular project was. But I think a lot of those are fairly universal uh, from from the the defaults that can be included can be templated if you need to, right? Yeah, I mean the best line is if we didn't say it above, it's out of scope. Exactly. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you start that one. Um, if you start that in your, you know, assumptions and out of scope section, then, you know, at least you have a fighting chance, right? Yeah. I guess the one of the other ones we didn't mention as, as far as fixed fee, and I don't want to uh, beat this idea to death, but I think it's really <laughs> important because I, I still find it is not 
uh, a universal methodology, and I, I, I think it's a, a missed opportunity. But um, the other bit around this is uh, having that statement of work and a fixed fee project allows you to collect up front, right? Uh, because sure. uh, the yeah. client will know how much that project is going to get and what the deliverables are for that. So you you can bill the 100% of the project up front. And what I tell people if they push back is at the very least, collect any hard costs. So if you have to pur- sure. purchase anything, uh, get those that get that money up front. And if they're still really nervous about billing 100% of the project up front, then you can do kind of a uh, maybe a 50-50 or a 75-25 right. uh, up front and, and post. Uh, but then you run this risk of, um, you know, the client set, uh, delays on the close of the project and may complain that, you know, well, that maybe this wasn't done and I just don't have to, the time to meet to approve the closure of the project. So if you're going to yeah. do that, make sure that you're in control of uh, who says the project is closed versus not. They can sure. push back for a couple of weeks, maybe a, a window there. But uh, I, I think that billing 100% up front is a, a huge value in, if you're scoping and, and billing projects correctly. Yeah, and I think I think speed of um, speed of getting back to a client so is important as well. So if you're if you're engaged in a client conversation, they're like, okay, I'm interested in this. I think if you're able to turn around these statements of work and pricing quickly, um, almost pretend like you've done this before, yeah. <laughs> then then there's there's a lot of business to be had just by like lost opportunity and timing. I totally. think, yeah. um, you know, I, I've been at several large partners and they roll out, you know, these commercial teams because they're trying to go after that business, but they're not built to go fast. Right. And that commercial space, as you know, is very time sensitive. I mean, you, you've got to be able to react and put something in front of a client very quickly. Yeah, no, that's a great point. So uh, we've kind of touched on the, the solution that, that you guys have built at Scopestack. Do you want to maybe elaborate a bit more on uh, how the solution can help around the, the, the scoping of projects, the pre-sales, yeah. as well as the implementation and delivery? Yeah, absolutely. So um, again, my background is is very pre-sales oriented for some, some national and global partners, as well as some regional partners um, here in the state. And um, what what I found to be a gap, um, and I think there are a lot of peers in this industry, you being one of them, right, that would agree is the scoping and pricing um, function for a partner or for an ISV is a a big gap, right? So as I mentioned, the the configure price quote part is good from a bond development, but the services and sale part, um, especially the coupling of level of effort to language is the big gap today. So there are there are absolutely really good tools out there around proposal automation, which you can pull in snippets of text and you can kind of build it, but it has nothing to do with level of effort and pricing and resourcing of that project. So what we did is we built um, you know a modern web application that sti- that is built for pre-sales of a of a partner ISV MSP. Um, around services. So um, our whole thesis is if we can reduce the amount of time it takes to scope, also giving you the accuracy of a project, then you can win more business, right? Um, you can reduce the burden on the business of having engineers spending, you know, highly paid engineers spending a lot of time writing uh, Word documents, which they don't want to be doing. Yeah, they really don't. <laughs> Just if anyone, if anyone questioned that, right, they really don't want to be doing that. Yeah. So, so what we did with Scopestack was we built a, a very VAR specific, MSP specific platform around services. Um, and so we give you the ability to uh, scope and price out a project in one platform, coupling together level of effort and language, but also building on things like governance, project management, all those things that need to be considered in every single project um, and just making it extremely easy. And so 
Um, that's where we currently are leveraging integrations, API integrations with CRMs like ConnectWise, Salesforce, name a few, um, to make the sales to pre-sales transition easy. Um, and then we're currently working on some projects to make the transition from that pre-sales scoping to project management and the PSA tools easy as well. Um, so again, just bridging that gap between sales and post-sales is right where scope stack fit yeah that's awesome i i, I see it as uh, uh upping your maturity game while also making it easier that's certainly a win-win right yeah absolutely and so one one of the cool features is if you're building projects on the fly um again i was talking to a client yesterday about this so like just start you don't have to predefine everything to use scope stack you can literally start scoping a project just like you would in your excel worksheets today um coupling that with language and then we give you the ability later to adopt those elements into standards. So it's, you know, organically crowdsourcing kind of your mind share around technical language level of effort and scoping that you can then go reuse on other projects, right? Um, and so then, you know, the project delivery team knows what to expect um, on these projects. And there's, there's some consistency there um, as well. Awesome. All right. So if uh, people are interested or would like to, to reach out to you to know more, where can they follow you or contact you? And I'll include uh, resource notes in the show notes as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the best way, if you're interested in the platform, um, we have a, a free 30-day trial um, that's available to anyone via our website. And it is scopestack.io. And there's a big button in the top right that says sign up now. <laughs> um, the other way to reach out, um, I'm again, I'm very engineering. So I'm like, you know, not social. So um, I am on LinkedIn, though. Uh, so Scopestack John, um, again, John Scott out on LinkedIn. And so I'd, I'd be glad to have any conversation with anyone um, around this. And again, it, you know, I feel more or less like we're still in the channel space um, than we are, you know, a big software organization, right? So like, I think we're trying to solve a very relevant problem in this industry that um, we're getting a lot of really good momentum around a lot of really good feedback from the industry on. Um, and I think if we just continue doing that, we'll make something that's pretty great. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you being on and uh, uh, sharing some st war stories about uh, project <laughs> scoping and project delivery with me. Absolutely. Thanks, Todd. I appreciate the opportunity.